Okay, we're talking about real faith in difficult times. James, James has two goals. Uh, he's trying to minister to people that are struggling, right? Uh, and, and who can tell me what's going on? Like, why are, why is his audience struggling? What's happened? And what, what, tell me a little bit about what's going on in their lives. They're fleeing from Jerusalem. Why? Because of persecution. That's right. That's the difficult times, right? There's persecution going on. And, and t- talk to me about the real faith. What's James' other purpose? He's going to minister to people that are being persecuted. And then what's his other goal that he has in the book? Yes, Melissa? That's right. Not to be just hearers, but doers. Exactly. He's trying to, he's trying to clarify for them what is a Christian? What, what is a real uh, follower of God look like in the midst of counterfeits, in the midst of the, 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 the newness of Christianity? Remember, this, this is the middle of the first century. Christ, Christianity is still in the infant nursery. It, it's not developed. It's not full grown yet. It, Christians are still asking lots of questions. They don't have a Bible yet. In fact, they don't have any of the New Testament yet. All they have is this one letter, uh, as far as we know, that James writes to them to, to try to just give them some guidance and give them some, some input on these things. So real faith in difficult times is how we bring that together, right? What is a real Christian? That's real faith in difficult times. That's the challenge of persecution. And uh, we've seen a couple of the ways that James is going to answer that question. The first thing he did uh, in the first chapter, mainly on to the second chapter, is, is he, he says, okay, you want to know if you're a real Christian or not? You want to know what a real Christian looks like? Ask yourself this question. How do they respond to the challenges of life? And we see this in Peter. We see this in James. We see this in Hebrews. We see this in many letters. How we respond to life in the midst of difficulties is diagnostic, right? It, it, it confirms our faith or it calls into question our faith, depending on how we respond. And, of course, God's goal is, is to grow us through our faith, but if that faith isn't real, trials serve to expose the, the, uh, the lack of faith if that's what's really going on. So remember, just, just follow me here by way of review. He talked about trials. He talked about lacking wisdom. He talked about being humbled. He talked about temptation. He talked about good things, right? And a good thing can be a challenge if, if we ignore God because of the blessings of life, uh, relationships, and uh, so that just sort of uh, captures uh, that, that first question. How do you respond to the challenges of life? And, of course, many of the things that he's addressing here, he's not just saying, hey, how do you respond you know, to know where you stand in terms of your faith? But he's also addressing these issues because these are some of the very things that these first century Christians were facing and uh, needing guidance on. Uh, the second question that James asks, so to speak, that, that helps us to know what does real faith look like is uh, this question, does your faith lead to godly action? Uh, how do you respond to challenges? But, but what does your life look like? Do you see evidence of godly action? Um, you know, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't take your car to a mechanic that uh, had a whole slew of broken cars in his parking lot, Right? You say, well, what, what are that's all about? Well, you know, those are the cars I, I couldn't fix. Well, how many cars have you fixed? Still working on that. Uh, you, you wouldn't do that, right? And there's got to be evidence of competency. There's got to be evidence of skill. There's got to be evidence of faith. And that's what James is getting at here. Does your life evidence 
that your faith is real. Not perfect faith, not a perfect life, not, not I never struggle, not I never sin, but evidence of growth, evidence of change, evidence of a difference being made. And he, he talks about things like this. Melissa mentioned this a moment ago, being a doer of the word, right? Are you actually living God's word out or are you just an encyclopedia of the Bible, but, but you're, you're not a doer of the Bible? Uh, pursuing love of neighbor and personal purity. This is true and undefiled religion, according to James, right? Loving your neighbor, especially the least of these, and pursuing personal purity in a corrupt world. We talked about partiality in the chapter 2, right? How we, how we deal with people. Are we, are we loving neighbor consistently, regardless of what they look like or their economics or their clothing, or are we showing partiality? And then the, the big... You know, the big kahuna, so to speak, of chapter 2, uh, faith and works and that relationship, that real faith is a working faith, right? Faith alone in Christ alone is how you become a Christian, but that faith alone is never alone, is it, in, in terms of what it produces, uh, real faith produces good works that God prepares beforehand. And then last time we just asked a, a third question, are your words under control? And this is indicting. He talks about being careful to be a teacher because you go undergo a stricter judgment. He talks about how if you, if you manage your whole tongue, if you get your words under control, the chances are your whole life will be under control. And why can he make that claim? Let's just remind ourselves of this one point. Why can he make the claim that if you get your words under control, your whole life will be under control? Because your words proceed from your heart. The, the, the closest direct gauge that you have on the status of your spiritual heart is your mouth, according to Scripture. And um, Luke, Luke 6, Jesus said it, right? The mouth speaks and that which fills the heart, 645 of, of the Gospel of Luke, right? So that's how he makes that claim. So let's go back to chapter 3 now with that introduction. And I want to ask you a fourth question today. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? Okay, specifically, I want to ask you this question. What kind of wisdom do you wear? See, all of us, according to James, wear clothing indicative of our condition. Not, not, not like, you know, a sport coat and slacks, but you wear a lifestyle. You wear an operating system. You wear a way that you deal with the world. And James says, you know what? I want to ask you what you're wearing today. Because there's two types of wisdom. There's two types of wisdom. And often, I think Christians even struggle to know what is the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, Christian wisdom. Okay, so I found that cool graphic there of Joe Cool wearing the wisdom shirt there. So uh, what kind of wisdom are you wearing? Okay, so look at chapter 3 with me, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. Now, now remember, he, he's not going on to a new subject. He's still talking about the overall context of our words and our heart and self-control. Okay, so don't, don't lose the context in this. Okay, he's still thinking about words and, and people, remember he's just talked about, can a fig tree produce olives? And, you know, remember we, we, we bless God with our mouth and then we use the same mouth to curse men, right? So he's thinking about people and relationships with people and our words. And then he says this in chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you, 
is wise and understanding. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Hang on a second here. There we go. All right. Okay, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What are you wearing? Okay, let's let's break it down here. Okay, he's going to start first of all by introducing the idea of you know who's wise, right? Who's understanding? Did you catch the word pair, wise and understanding? We see the same thing we see in Proverbs, right? That little word pair. Um, what is wisdom? Maybe we just right out of the starting blocks, we should ask, what are we even talking about here when we're talking about wisdom? So so just g- give me some thoughts on what you know about biblical wisdom. The beginning is the fear of the Lord, right? We saw that in, in chapter 1. I'm talking about knowledge. Uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the, f- or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Okay. What else? Yeah. Um, wisdom is knowledge applied in a, in a God-honoring way. Okay. Wis- I like that. Wisdom is knowledge applied in a God-honoring way. Do you agree with that? And, and notice, we, we can see we can see some of these things already coming out in the book of James, right? If if wisdom was just knowledge, then being a hearer of the word would be great. But it's not, right? Because it's a doer of the word. It's not, what do I do with that knowledge? Okay, someone else. This is good. I, I like what you're saying. What else do we know about wisdom? Okay. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is knowing don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. Hmm, very good. Did you just come up with that? Or, a wealth of wisdom right here, okay? Said eloquently as well. So, Okay, yeah, so, yeah, okay. Application, right? Knowledge versus application, okay? What else? Yeah, Todd? Yeah, thank you. Um, see, see, we're, we're prone to think, okay, so wisdom means uh, I pick, you know, the perfect financial investments, and I retire when I'm 30, and that's how we're prone to think of wisdom. But, but, but and this is where the Bible, I think, shocks us. Not only is wisdom particularly a spiritual quality built on a fear of God, like Heidi said, wisdom is a moral reality that primarily fleshes itself out in relationships with people. Do you see that? 
So, and, and this is where I think worldly wisdom, oh, you know, financial success and drawing the, uh, the corp- corporate ladder and, you know, I figured out, I figured out the fountain of youth, right? I'm going to live till I'm 150 because I've figured out the, the medical whatever. And see, we're prone to think of that as wisdom. And the Bible says, well, yeah. And the Proverbs talk about your finances for sure, right? And then talk about uh, taking care of yourself. And But that's not the primary scope of wisdom. It's ethical. It's moral. It's knowledge applied to life, but particularly in regard to other people. And um, I would dare say that most of the world's wisdom is incredibly individualistic, isn't it? It's about me. And God is saying wisdom is about how you engage other people. You see the difference? And, and we, we can just talk about this all day. There's all sorts of contrasts, but I just want to get you thinking about this, okay? Because you start thinking about wisdom, you start going, I thought I was a pretty smart guy. And then you realize, but that's not how God defines wisdom. Uh, so so let's, let's just jump into the weeds here, okay? How do we recognize true wisdom? Look at this. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? In other words, how are we going to know that? How are we going to recognize true wisdom? So he says, uh, how do we do that? Uh, that word understanding has the idea of effective in using knowledge, right? Do we put the tomato in the fruit salad or not? That, that's, that's right, right? Using knowledge. Uh, and, and notice this too. The first thing he's going to say is going to blow you away. You ready? How do you know wisdom? How do you recognize true wisdom? Good and wise behavior is manifested in humility. The first quality of wisdom is humility. James here is assuming good behavior, right? I mean, that yeah, wisdom involves good behavior. But humility... And, and what do you, what do you, I love this word humility. It literally means the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. That's humility. Um, a wise person is humble, even though they may be very successful. They, they may, may be a very upright person. The higher they go in wisdom, the lower they go in their own estimation of themselves. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the... uh, He who wants to be first among you will be your servant. See, greatness in the kingdom of God is primarily about humility, isn't it? So we see a li- James is linking here the idea of wisdom with the idea of humility. And um, what, a, what a great... Because, and, and we're tempted, right? When we're thinking, we're, hey, I'm making good financial decisions, I made a good vocational decision, I made a good parenting decision, I made a good medical decision, a good diet and exercise decision, what are we prone to do? Tell other people... Yeah, be proud of ourselves. And maybe and maybe even look down on others because they weren't as smart as we are. You see how relevant this is? Humility. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? Not overly impressed by a sense of one's 
self-importance, okay? So it's, it's being good, right? It's wise behavior, but it's manifested in humility. You know a person is growing in wisdom when they are growing in their own humility in that way. Okay, let's keep going. We, we got we to gotta keep going here. We could talk a lot more. Let's talk about ungodly wisdom. He says, okay, so uh, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness. Notice that word gentleness. That, that's our, our word humility. It's better translated humility or gentleness of wisdom. And now he's going to contrast, just sort of teasing us with godly wisdom. Now he's going to tell us about the other type of wisdom, the, the other outfit that you can be putting on. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, meaning a competing wisdom, a false wisdom, a worldly wisdom, is characterized by, notice the two qualities here, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, now this is interesting. Selfish ambition, it could mean selfishness. It could actually mean strife or fighting. The, the word can, can go either way. But I think it's safe to say that when we pursue an individualistic, worldly wisdom where it's about my health, my money, my success, um, it is a pretty self-focused endeavor, isn't it? Uh, notice the what, what is bitter jealousy? What, what, what comes to mind when you think about that? I've defined it here for you. Bitter, intense, negative feelings over another's achievements or successes. Worldly wisdom, individual, selfish, ambition, wisdom, modeling after the world manifests itself in what quality toward other people? Yeah. I have trouble when other people are more successful than I am. Um, and you know, I was thinking about this, like how do, how do Christians do this? Because I, I know in this room, and we're not going. Oh, you know, Callum's got that killer truck over there. I, mean, I wish I had a truck like that. You know, I, I know you don't do that. I mean, how do Christians struggle with jealousy and bitterness? Do you think? What are some of the ways we do struggle with that? Any ideas? Children. Children. Oh my goodness, you, you just had to go right for the jugular, didn't you? Do we do that? Those of you that are parents or grandparents, do you ever struggle looking at, you know, the, the perfect family over here? All their kids grow up to be missionaries and pastors. You know, we're worshiping Jesus around the world. And, and you're looking at the, the garden variety challenges in your home going, I just hope he learns to tie his shoe by the time he's 17. You know, I just, uh, what's, right? That's, that's, a, that's an area of weakness, isn't it? We struggle with that. Okay, so parenting. What, what else do we struggle in terms of jealousy? Ministry opportunities. Ministry opportunities. Yeah. yeah. That person gets to do those things. How come I can't do those things? Or they're gifted, they're, their spiritual gifts are over here. I wish I had those spiritual gifts. Okay. What else? Yeah, absolutely. So if we go outside of the community of Christians and we start looking at a world that doesn't know Christ, that hates him, and we go, man, look at their lives. Look at how successful they are. 
Shouldn't that be me? Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? How come their life is better than mine? That's, that's uh, uh, Psalm 73. That's Asaph's thing, right? You know, the Lord is good to Israel, but how come they prosper and we suffer, right? Exactly. And, and um, I'm going to go there because I'm your shepherd and, and I need to do this. Um, I think that we can be incredibly tempted to do what Carl just mentioned, right? To, to, to envy the success of an ungodly people, especially in the political realm right now. There, I said it. It, it is easy to say, if we're going to be successful in influencing a political arena with a godly agenda, which is a good thing to do, we should all want to do that, Maybe we have to learn to play by their rules. Maybe we have to adopt some of their methods uh, and compromise that, compromise what we know is right. Um, And often that starts with a jealousy that we think the wrong people are winning. Right? Jealousy jealousy is, is a... Jealousy is a root that causes all sorts of weeds in your life, doesn't it? It's there. It operates under the ground. You don't really see it. But then you see all these manifestations, discontentment, bitterness, anger, criticism, um, distraction, right? It just, it just grows. I can't believe. Can you believe? It was negative three degrees here. A week and a half ago. And do you know I still have weeds growing in my grass? Like, how do they survive that? What is, right? That's what bitterness is like. Okay? Notice this also. He says, if, if that's what's going on, if you have bitterness, it, better jealousy in your heart and selfish ambition, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Put that together. That's kind of a hard sentence to understand. What is he saying here? If that's what's going on, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth or be deceived, we might, we might better say. What does he mean by that? Can, can you figure that out? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, maybe just kind of in denial over it. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, saw a hand back there. Melissa? Certainly, yeah. Yeah, he needs to take every thought captive. Another idea? It's, it's tricky, but, I, but you guys are smart, so let me see if you can get it. Mm-hmm. Certainly does, doesn't it? Arrogance puts us over him. Think of the context. He's saying, who among you is wise? Who among you is full of understanding? You know what the mark, you know what the first mark of that is? Humility. So if you're full of bitter jealousy, and if you're full of selfish ambition, don't have a big head thinking that you're so wise. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to burst the balloon of people that think they're wise and they're not. Because their hearts are full of jealousy and bitterness and and selfishness. And, and, And those things are driving their pursuits to be wise 
And James is saying, if that's your heart, you've missed the first mark of what it means to be wise. And that's humility. I think, I think that's what he means. It's a little bit challenging and maybe there's a, a better explanation than that. But his point is, we shouldn't be arrogant, right? That is shaking our fist at heaven, so to speak, lying against the truth. In fact, look at the description here. He says, this wisdom, a kind of wisdom that would be arrogant, that would lie against the truth, that's full of bitter jealousy, that's full of selfish ambition, selfishness, it's not from above. So let's just say it like this. An individualistic, selfish, motivated pursuit of being wise does not come from heaven. Well, where does it come from? Look at the description here. He's going to give us three three descriptions here, okay? It's earthly as contrast with heavenly, right? It's, my Bible says, um, natural. Uh, the word actually means unspiritual. Natural in the sense that we're adopting a wor- the world standpoint instead of adopting God's standpoint. So it's unspiritual in that way. Look at this word. It's devilish. Wow. I mean, James was talking about, you know, you think you have faith? Great. Well, the demons believe also. Remember that from the last chapter? Here he says, um, if, if your life is manifested by a selfishly motivated, bitter jealousy that causes you to try to get ahead and, and be better, thinking that that's the path of wisdom, he says that's actually a quality of Satan himself. How do we know that? If, if we take uh, what the prophets say about uh, the, if we take what the prophets say about the fall of Satan as being about Satan, and that's debatable, but but um, do you remember some of the language, Lucifer? I will ascend to heaven. Grant, Grant go ahead. I'm sorry, I saw that hand there. Yeah, yeah. I want to be like the Most High. That's arrogance. That's what Carl said, right? It's it's standing above God. And um, humility is what bowing and submitting to the feet of God, saying, I need you to make me wise. It's different, isn't it? That's why true humility or tr- true wisdom grows you in humility. The world's wisdom grows you in arrogance and being jealous and taking advantage of people. And You see the difference? It's a, big, it's a huge contrast here. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, and, and, and that's strong language, isn't it? You think, everybody's like this. Who isn't trying to get it? What, what, what parent isn't trying to figure out some way that their kid gets into the best school, gets the best scholarships, or gets on the, you know, the, the college football team? You, you think of all the ways that we're trying to promote our own success by walking on other people. And James says... Um, that's what the devil does. Okay, so that's we, we want to avoid that, okay? What's the what does that produce? 
What does that produce? I mean, and, and the language here is descriptive, is descriptive. Look at this. He says in 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. And sadly, we have more pictures of that in our mind because we just lived through 2020. How many cities did we see erupt in riots this last year for all sorts of things, right? People are unhappy about all sorts of things. And so they take to the streets and they destroy things, they break things, they attack law enforcement, they attack law-abiding citizens, they destroy the businesses of law-abiding businessmen and women. That's the word he uses here. There, there is tumult, right? It, it is... Uh, Where's the word here? Un, an unsettled state, disturbance, tumult, unruliness, opposition to established authority. Isn't that indicting? Wisdom leads to harmony. Ungodly wisdom leads to unruliness. Now, if you're tracking with me, that makes total sense because worldly wisdom is I'm going to do whatever I need to do, selfish ambition, right, to get ahead. I don't want him to have it. I don't want him to have it. I don't want, I want to have it. And what does that do? It destroys relationships is what it does. It destroys civil discourse. It destroys law and order. Um... I mean, tell me if I'm way off here. I think that a lot of what we saw this last year was people getting the wrong idea of what it means to really be smart and wise in terms of solving the societal problems that we face. Right? Isn't that the message of social media? If you don't like what's going on, here's the protocol to fix it. And that's what we see in its most extreme sense, right? Opposition to established authority. And, and notice the, the drip pan here. And every evil deed, James says, right? He's like, it's, it's that, but you know what? It's everything. And, and, and by e- the word evil that's translated there, it, it, remember, that, that's, that's moral in nature. He's saying it results in the corruption of every moral pursuit. You cannot be wise in the world and be moral and righteous and holy before God. You can't do it. But thankfully, James is not content to just tell us what not to do, right? The put-off side, the, the, the don't do that, the get rid of this side. He also gives us one of the most beautiful descriptions in the whole Bible of what godly wisdom looks like. And this is, you think of Proverbs, right? You can read all 31 chapters of Proverbs and get a really good understanding of what wisdom looks like in all these different realms of life. It's as if James takes that whole teaching on, of Proverbs and he distills it down to some fundamental character qualities. Okay? If you want to wear the right type of wisdom, if you want to put on the clothing of godliness, here's eight items that need to be in your wardrobe. Okay, look at this. Look at this. Number one, he says, wisdom from above, right, God's wisdom, first of all, is 
pure. I'm reading Leviticus right now. Amy and I are reading the Old Testament Bible reading plan. Um, and uh, we're reading Leviticus right now. And um, Okay, confessions of an honest preacher. How are you doing with Leviticus? Are, are, you, just, are you just like buried in the minutia of, okay, I get it, uh, all right. It's, it's like reading law books or something like that because you are reading law books. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Okay, and you say, if we go down to the courthouse and we start pulling laws and and uh, 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 rulings and whatnot, and we just bury ourselves into that, I mean, we're just going to go crazy. It's like, why do we have all these things? Because our society, our country, or let's just say our town, cares about justice, and all of those things spell out what is justice, right? Why does God put Leviticus in your Bible? Because he takes his holiness very seriously. And we understand that you know some of those were laws specific to the nation of Israel, and they're not applicable today. We get that. We, we understand there's, there's differences in which laws apply and which don't. But don't miss the point reading, Leviticus, reading Leviticus. That's the word I was looking for. You shall be holy because that's the point. God cares about how you live because he is a certain type of God. And page after page, chapter after chapter, verse after verse of do this, don't do that. You got this situation, here's how you handle it. Don't do this, don't do that. Here's the procedure is to, to drill home the point that God cares about how you live in every moment of your life. That's what you're supposed to get from Leviticus. And as you get through that, you go, there's no way I could ever do this perfectly, which is the other purpose of Leviticus, right? The, the law that would lead us to Christ in, in seating our need. I'm, I'm preaching to you. I'm sorry. Uh, but, but get this, right? The, the wisdom. Wisdom, first of all, is about holiness. Wisdom is not about success. It's about your personal character. It's about innocence or, or chase is an old word. But, it, but pure in conduct, morally pure, morally uh, like God in that. Notice the second word there, peaceable. And, and, and if you want one to underline, this is it. Because what is the opposite of fighting, disputing, unsettledness, lack of submission to authority, stepping on other people to get ahead, selfish ambition, jealousy at other people? What's the opposite of that? Being a peacemaker. And we'll see this in the next verse. Wise people are known for their humility. We saw that. They're also known for making peace wherever they go. That's what a wise person does. You say, I have to convince them all to think just like me, right? No, no, no. A wise person has an ability to bring peace even when there's differences, as we're going to see here in a minute. You want to be wise, learn to put on the clothes of being a peacemaker. Number three, um, gentle. That word means yielding, forbearing, considerate. Now, this is hard because I like getting my way just like you like getting your way. Look at this. Not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom. 
You ready for this? Wise people are easy to get along with because they just go with the flow. They know how to yield. They're not going around looking for the one or two steps that the person takes out of line so they can criticize that person. They're gracious in that way. They're forbearing. They're considerate of others. Um, Look at that list for a minute. Wouldn't it be great if we had politicians like that? That hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. Uh, That's what God says is wisdom. Pure, right? Holy, peaceable. They're peace-loving, peaceful. They they know how to make peace wherever they go. They're gentle. They're not always looking for the car whose tire just goes over the yellow line for a minute and comes back so that they can call it out, right? They go with the flow. They're they're yielding. They're gracious. Um, Easy to get along with. Number four, they're reasonable, right? We we talked about the arrogance of worldly wisdom, right? These are arrogant, selfish pursuits. You know what reasonable means? The person's teachable. Now, you know that because what do we read in Proverbs 1? The wise man will listen and learn to be more wise. What does the fool say? I already know everything. I don't need to hear this. There's nothing you can teach me. I've got I've got a PhD in life. What can you teach me, right? You ever notice that? Really, really godly people are always open to learn. You notice that? They don't have a sense of I've arrived. They don't have a sense of... And, and, and you may be seeing this. Um, I remember... This is, this is crazy. Um, many, many years ago, uh, I was filling in for Pastor Terry. I was, I was a, maybe here a year. I was brand new Grace Bible Church. Brand new rookie preacher right, right out of seminary. Green as can be. And um, uh, a man visited our church. Some of you know the story. Some of you were here when this happened. Most of you weren't. And, um, and so I'm, I'm doing what Pastor Terry does back in that day. You know, he, Pastor Terry used to stand by the door and greet people on the way out, right, back when we were just all met in here. And so I did what Pastor Terry did. You know, I filled the pulpit and, and preached and then went out there. I'm standing by the door and I'm greeting people. And a guy comes up to me and uh, he's a visitor. I said, oh, hey, my name's, my name's Keith. What's your name? He says, uh, my name's Howard. Well, great. Nice, nice, nice to meet you, Howard. I didn't recognize him. It was Howard Hendricks. Now, Sally knows who Howard Hendricks is. You can see by her. Isn't that a, Sally, do you remember that? I do not. No. Howard Hendricks. This is like the longtime Bible expert at Dallas Seminary, right? The hermeneutics book, the Bible interpretation book that all of us have used for decades is Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. And he's there. And, and I, I, at that point, it was like, I, I, I don't remember anything else of what happened that day. But, but, I, but I do remember this. You know, he, he said something complimentary about my pathetic sermon. And I thought, you know what? What a, what a gracious mark of a godly man who probably could have just given me about 937 things that I could have done better and differently in, in the sermon because that's what he does, right? He, he teaches people how to preach and he's the teacher par excellence. And, but that, that's what wise people do. They, they, they always are open to learning. They're always open to... Uh Uh-oh, there we go. 
Okay, so they're reasonable, they're teachable. Uh, number five, full of mercy. Look at this, kindness, concern, compassion towards someone in need. Um, here's what I think he's saying. The more we grow in godliness and wisdom, the more aware we are of people in need around us. And, and desirous to help those people. I mean, you, you could picture, you know, I'm growing in wisdom, I'm getting, I'm getting great in, in, in my, my uh, vocation or my finances or my whatever, and, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting higher and higher in society, so those little people are getting a lot harder to see in life, right? That's the opposite in God's world. God says the more you grow in wisdom, the more you recognize people in need and are inclined to help them in terms of mercy and kindness. We talked about that, right? True and undefiled religion, the sight of our God is this, what? To visit orphans and widows in their distress, to look out for the least of these, to help them. And and not just to say, oh, be warmed and be filled, right? But to actually give them what they need. It's not a good wish for success. It's actually doing something to contribute to their success. Full of good fruits, right? Producing good, righteous things. This is the message of the book of James. How do you know a true believer? Well, what does his life produce? We see good fruits. Unwavering. I love this. Without favoritism. We saw that, right? We saw that back in chapter two. You know, two guys walk into your church. And one guy looks great, dressed right, obviously he's rich, you put him in the best seat, the other guy walks in, he's poor, you put him in the back seat. Um, you know, the, the word has a second meaning, so I'm going to throw this in here. I, I, I still think that it probably has the idea of, of favoritism and context, but both of them work. The, the, other, the other meaning here is being single-minded or not being uncertain. And, and you think, okay, we're talking about humility um, and, and wisdom. Can you be humble and confident? Yes, you can. The Bible teaches that a godly person is humbly confident in their outlook. You say, why is that? Well, let me, let me, let me throw it to you guys. Why can a godly person be humble and confident? Grant? God's in control. Okay, good. What's that? They believe what God says. Yeah. Do you remember the do you remember the proverb? In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. So there's nothing wrong with being confident. Our problem is we're usually just confident in the wrong person, right? So in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Uh, um, a a a humble courage, right? A dependent confidence. Uh, a humble certainty. Th- those, are not, those are not contradictions. Those are marks of the godly person. Okay, so that, I mean that, that fits too. Um, okay? And then finally, without hypocrisy. This is, it really means sincere. A wise person, biblically speaking, is a person that is genuine. They're not playing games. They're not, they're not making a smoke screen. They're not living two lives. What you see is what you get. And what they do is motivated by a sincere effort 
to help you, to love you, um, to do what's right. Now, look at that list for a minute. Do you know anybody like that? I mean, this, this is so, it's so good to look at, you know, as, I mean, we, we look at that and the first thing we think is, that kind of sounds like Jesus. Well, and that, that would be the perfect answer, right? Um, these are, these are the type of people that you ought to be listening to in your life. This is, this is a mark of, of wisdom. This is the picture of the type of people that we want to be becoming and, and aiming toward. Okay? Now, what's the result of this? I, I told you I'd come back to here. The, the Nasby says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's just proving that sometimes the word order in Greek doesn't come over into English very clearly. And it doesn't because they're two very different languages. What the, Naz, what, what the Nasby does, reflecting the Greek, is it puts the result of the peacemaker at the beginning, right? What's the result? The fruit of righteousness comes. And, that, and that's what James does. He front loads the sentence with the result. What A person who's wise like this, what do they produce? What evidence do they manifest in life? And James says, you know what people like this produce? They produce people who produce righteous fruit in their life. That's what they do. I think the New Living Translation, in changing the word order, makes it a little bit more understandable. So I, I printed it there for you. Here's the NLT. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's a little more clear, isn't it? Um, but what James is wanting to highlight is the results, right? The harvest of righteousness, and that's why he puts that at the beginning of the sentence there. What do we mean there? Peacemakers, right? Those who make peace, they plant seeds of peace, which produce a harvest of righteousness. How do you know a wise person? They make peace wherever they go, and they leave a trail behind them of righteousness, You say, what does that mean? It means the people that these wise men and women touch demonstrate godly, righteous fruit in their life because of the efforts of peacemakers like this. You look in the wake of a wise man and you see a wealth of people that were provoked and helped to look more like Jesus in their life. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that. And so James says, don't take your cues from out there, right? Don't, don't take your talking points from social media. Lock in. Take that list of eight qualities. Live that out by God's grace. Be a peacemaker. Right? Be about the betterment of others. Grow in humility that, that a confidence would come in our dependence on God and, and pray that God would be pleased to create peace and righteousness in the people that we touch. What if we had a church of people like this, right? What a place it would be. What, what an attraction it would be for Christ. And so that's what we aim for. Let's ask that he'll do that in our lives. Uh, Father, we, we are humbled by this. Uh, we confess that so often what we think is a mark of wisdom is utterly and totally a, a mark of an earthly, demonic, natural uh, dimension of wisdom. 
Lord, we, we long to be people like this. Um, will you grow us in true wisdom as we would live out these marks uh, for the glory of your name, for the building up of your people, for the spreading of peace and righteousness in our world, and ultimately that, that the spotlight would, we, would be put on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who is wisdom personified. Lord, make us more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.